and I just realized how far from normal I had strayed and I didn't feel responsible anymore. I didn't feel like I was a responsible person. And uh, that was that was really hard for me. Welcome to Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up with courage and faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough, but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who face trials head on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. Hello, all you modern day Esthers. Do I have a story for you today? Well, it's not my story, but you're definitely going to enjoy this. My guest today is an author, a speaker, and the founder of Christian Speakers Bootcamp. You're going to want to hear more about that. And whether she's on stage or whether it's written on the page, my guest is a captivating Christian woman who truly does understand us women, and she knows how to minister and empower women in their walk with Christ. She has a story of incredible faith from Playboy Bunny to Jesus follower. She will encourage and equip you to take your next step in life and in your walk with the Lord. Would you please welcome today my guest, Robin Dykstra. Hi, Robin. Hi, so great to be with you. Thank you for being with us and taking this time. I hope I didn't like give away your punchline, but you have a story of being like an Esther who had to stand up for a moment such as this from Playboy Bunny to Jesus Girl. We want to hear about that. Yeah, it's not a story that I'm proud of, but, and I'm really glad to be on this side of it, but I think everybody has a season or a moment or a decision in their life that they regret, that they, they, they feel some angst or shame about that you think, Ooh, that wasn't the brightest thing I've ever done. And my, my little hiccup in life was believing that I could do whatever I wanted. And that as long as I didn't, um, you know, as long as I was moral and responsible, that everything that I did would be okay. So when I uh, dropped out of college and needed a summer job and saw the ad for Playboy Bunnies, and it said, no experience necessary. I thought this is perfect for me because I don't know how to do anything, but I sure do know how to make men smile. So I jumped on that job and it was only supposed to be for the summer, but I was really good at mm-hmm. being walking pornography. So I stayed for years and I did all the things, you know, the drugs and the manipulation and the drinking and the sex and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just, it just felt like maybe you can relate to this sin feels good. It tastes good. And, uh, for a while it felt like I was right. I was, I, I had the world by the tail, so to speak, that I was just living the dream, made more money than my mom and dad put together. I mean, there was just no downside until, um, 
I got quiet enough to, to realize that there was this emptiness, this void, and I didn't know how to fill it. I just kept trying everything I could think of to feel as good on the inside as I looked on the outside and really nothing worked until I found Jesus. You know, absolutely. And I want to hear more about that, but let's just go back for a second because you're right. You know, and even the word of God tells us that there's pleasure in sin and that, you know, that pleasure it, it's for a season. It's not for a right. lifetime. It's going to, it's going to eventually wear off, but the lure of all that was offered to you, all of the money, all the trappings of the world, right? You had status, it was glamorous. You probably felt there was some adventure to that. You're meeting all kinds of interesting people. And there you are right in the middle of it. You said you meant it for a summer and right. you spent years, like how many years, three years? I was there for four years. And while I was there, I did, um, I was asked to do, I, I trained other girls how to do this. I recruited other girls to do this. And by that, I mean, you go to other cities and you set up a, a, a booth or a, an interview station among, at a, at a hotel or a school or whatever. And um, it's not like I was on the street corner kidnapping. There was <laughs> right. what I did. Yes. just to be glamour. clear. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's what I did for four years. And I even uh, attracted the attention of a rather nefarious um, fella. Uh, he didn't work for Playboy, but you know, when there's, when there's uh, every culture has a little subculture and this guy, he, was um he'd been in prison for seven years mm -hmm. and and his job was just to get people to say yes to things that they didn't want to say yes to he settled agree disagreements and collected debts and mm -hmm. so when he took a shine to me he started showing up at my station and he was just around all the time and I thought um I knew how dangerous he was mm -hmm. but I thought at least if I'm with him, then I'm safe from all the other crazy. I mean, I yeah. look back at it now and I think, oh, what? But it, it was true. It did keep me safe from everybody but him. Yeah. And so there's very, yeah. Some logic to it, but ultimately yeah. you were at risk in that relationship. Yeah. And I'm wondering what set you up for that? It feels like there was a void going into this that maybe a lack of confidence or a love. I know your mom was a highly educated woman. She was a woman's liver. Yeah. What, what was she saying to you when you told her you're going to do be a playboy, Benny? It's interesting. My mom's a PhD. She's got her doctorate in educational administration with an emphasis on affirmative action for women. She'd been single since I was three. She was a powerhouse, a force to be reckoned with. And I thought when I told her I was going to go be a Playboy bunny, that it would not go well. You know, all the talk about chauvinism and all that. And she, she surprised me just like um, just like Jesus surprised me later on in my life, but she modeled what I would find in Jesus because she loved me enough to let me make my own decision mm -hmm. and then provided a sanctuary for me to come home to when mm -hmm. it went badly. Mm -hmm. So she loved me 
so much that she was willing to watch me make a mistake, probably, you know, how you can see your kids Mm -hmm. careening out of control or doing something foolish or a friend, and you can see how it's going to end, but, and you can voice your opinion, but ultimately sometimes you have to let them go try to do the thing and be there to pick up the pieces. And that's what she modeled. So later when I was introduced to Jesus, um, the transition, uh, the belief, like we didn't ever go to church. We didn't ever talk about Jesus. The only time we said, the only time we talked about God is if um, somebody wanted to punctuate a sentence. Ah, You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah. (laughs) But, but when I, when I was, when it was, when somebody explains that there was a God in heaven who loved me unconditionally mm-hmm. and it, it was not such a stretch for me to understand because I had experienced the human part of that in my mom. Mm-hmm. Yes. So while she didn't sound like she was a believer at all, she was a woman who loved you. So it doesn't feel like your love tank was completely empty. And yet there was oh. no father figure there. Nope. So- so maybe the need for love from the male, perhaps it's hard telling. Hard I, telling. I, I think when girls are really, really pretty like you and like, like I, like we, like you, I, I don't want to brag, but, um, you know, we start leaning on our, our looks instead of our brains. And mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. start, we learn real easily, real early, how easy it is to manipulate people, men in particular, to get what we want. And then it becomes sort of a a lifestyle. And um, without somebody to do a course correct, it was just a habit that I fell into. So you're there for four years now. At what point in time are you becoming aware that this is I'm done? And did you meet Jesus first and then leave? Or did you leave? I left. Uh, my husband um, and I had more and more friction in our house. He was just a wild man. And he, he my, my smart mouth ran into his temper is what happened. And he started to hit me. And I knew that it was wrong, but I've always been really strong. And I thought I can just love him to the point where he won't hit me or I can, you know, I can be, I can love him well enough so that he won't do that anymore. And, and then the, 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 the thinking just kept getting more and more corrupt. I can behave in such a way that won't make him hit me anymore. I mean, that downward spiral the things that I can do. I really do have control of this. I gotta, I gotta interrupt for a moment. The man that took a shine to you that was dangerous. Is this the man that you married? I did. You married him. So now he's your husband. Right. So you're in this relationship with him. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. ultimately I had to run for my life and I called my mom and I explained the situation that I'd gotten myself into and how bad it was. And she said, run. So I came home and went back to school and tried to put my life back together. I, I started, um, I started out really well, but all this shame fell on me when I got home, the, 
you know, how could you be so stupid? What made you think this was a good idea? And that was really tough. And so I just started doing the things that mitigate that kind of heaviness. I, I started serial dating and, um, where did the shame come from? Were you telling yourself that or were other people yeah. speaking that into your life? Um, I think it was me. I just, I, I, I came home and people wore the same outfit all day long and they, they went to bed at 10 o'clock instead of going out to the bars at 10 o'clock. And they didn't, they spoke in whole sentences and they read newspapers and books and they talked about things other than, um, fancy shoes and fingernail polish color. I started dating at Exeter's and I just realized how far from normal I had strayed and I didn't feel responsible anymore. I didn't feel like I was a responsible person. And uh, that was, that was really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of accidentally bumped into a Christian boy and I'd met him at college. We'd lost track of each other, of course, because I think there's some rule in the Christian handbook that says that good Christian boys don't date playboy bunnies who are married to ex-cons. You know, I, I think it's in there somewhere. Yeah. 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 But we, um, we, uh, ran into each other and, started dating and he started taking me to church and things started falling into place. And, uh, we got married and, um, I said yes to Jesus before we got married, but he did date evangelize me, which I do not recommend to anybody. Right. I don't think that's a good idea. It just happened to work out pretty well for us. Why isn't it a good idea? Just yeah, you never, you, your heart gets all tangled up before you get the commitment. And then you have a choice to make if the person that you're date evangelizing never does surrender to Jesus. Now you either, your heart is broken because you have to leave this person or your heart's going to get banged up because you're not on the same page with this person. If you go ahead and marry them, it's just, right. it's really dangerous, I think. And, um, I have to agree with that. And you don't yeah. want to date your mission, but in this right. case, it sounds like right. it was God ordained and he must've had some sense of knowing that you were worth it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. He saw something in me that I didn't recognize in myself. And I did ask him, what would you have done if if we were coming right up on the wedding date? And uh, I said, what would you have done if I hadn't, you know, said yes to Jesus? And he said, I never had any worries that you were going to. And some people are more intuitive with the leading in the voice of God than others. And maybe he was more, yeah, or just had uh, deeper, bigger hopes, maybe, I don't know, but it worked out. Okay. We got married and had a couple of kids and built a beautiful life together. We were married about 14 years and he died of a heart attack. So it was um, rushing, just really shattering. It really was. I thought after all this time, we have finally hit a happy spot where I am in church and 
doing all, not just church lady things, but really building community in and around the other believers and just figuring out, figuring out how to make a beautiful life from the chaos that I had lived in. And yes, and it was just such a shock. One morning I woke up and he didn't, and mm. it wasn't, I, I can, I can remember that even that day, the Holy spirit fell on me. Like Philippians talks about the peace that surpasses understanding and that came. And then even um, within an hour, my house was full of women from my church, just milling around, fielding phone calls, answering the door, taking care of the kids, just doing all the things that the body of Christ would do. So so I really felt like the presence of the Lord was with me in his spirit, but also in his people. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I really harp on when I speak. I just really um, encourage women to build community, to test, test um, friendships with small things and then build trust and accountability and affirmations with each other so that you have someone to celebrate your victories, but someone who can commiserate your trials with you too. Yes. And that's so important. And it sounds like the body of Christ or Christian people rose to the occasion and they did well for you. It's not everybody's experience. I'm so glad that it was yours, but time goes on. And after the emergency and the grace starts to kind of lift, there's this thing called life. Yeah. How, what did this do to your faith, Robin? I mean, you were alone. You had to have moments of some kind of feeling, some kind of emotion I, going on. I did. I did really well for about five or six months. I just, I think I just ran on adrenaline and other people's prayers and goodwill and, um, and, and faith. And it just, but I think it was about six months out and I got up one morning and looked in the mirror and just thought, wow, this could really be the rest of my life. And this heaviness just, you know, just kind of weighted me down. And I, if it weren't for the four women that I call pillars, if they had not been in my life in such a positive way, I don't know, but I would have been, I was willing to do just about anything just to get a fix, just to get 15 minutes of my old life back. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I see when I talk to other women who've gone through something similar is, you know, they start drinking or they start using drugs or they start shopping for boyfriends on Facebook. I mean, there's so many coping mechanisms that because you don't have any accountability. If, you know, the days are busy, but the nights, oh my gosh, I I tell anybody who's going through a trauma or a trial or who's just recently been with it, just go to bed early, just go to bed early. Nothing good happens after nine o'clock at night in your mind. Nothing. Yeah. So only a lonely time. And I can remember in some of the things when I was going through my divorce after being married for 28 years and just, if I went to bed early, that was okay. But sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night and then it was just profound, the emptiness and the loneliness. Were you ever tempted to go back to a former life? 
Did you have a career at that time? Were you wondering, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I did have those questions, but I could, um, I had these four girls and I could call them at two in the morning Mm, and they would get out of their warm bed and get in their cold car and come and just sit with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like when you go to, when you have a sponsor for AA or uh, yeah, they're just on call. I'm tempted to do something really stupid here. So can you can you give me a piece of advice or pray for me or give me a word that can you be with me? It was that kind of a situation with these four women who just, you know, they celebrated my birthday with me and they invited me over to their house for Thanksgiving. And they really filled a lot of the gaps that they were good cock (laughs) for that loneliness. But I get what you're saying. There is that, that, that temptation to go like the dog returning to his vomit. Isn't that a proverb? Sure it is. Lovely yes. image, lovely image. But there is that. And just by the grace of God and the prayers of these and love of these women, I didn't go back in yes. um, such a big way. Such an important point that you're raising. And I just want to say to anyone who is listening, please don't ever underestimate the power of your ministry. If you are one of those friends, you might say, I'm not a writer, I'm not an author, I'm not a speaker, but I do have the gift of encouragement or the gift of helps. How incredibly important is that? Here we're hearing your testimony of four friends who literally snatched you out from places of depression or, or loneliness, anxiety, or potentially even a hazardous return to a past and stood by you so faithfully. So So ladies listening, please know how important you are. If you're one such person, what about the question? Why do you say, why God? I, I don't think I asked why I just wanted my life back. Don't you think that we ask why, and we really don't care why we just want I don't know, whatever was lost, found, or whatever was stolen, returned. And I just, I just wanted my life back. And so I did ask that. And the Lord was really clear. And he said, you can trust me. And I thought, doesn't feel very trusting some days. You know, I don't want to trust you. I just want my life back. But I think it's totally legit to say with open hands, God, I trust you. And then stomp your feet and say, but I hate this season. Absolutely. I do trust you, but I just hate this season. And I think the Lord, I, I know the Lord is big enough to handle those things. And it's not a lack of faith. And it's, I don't think it's irreverent to be real authentic with your feelings and your emotions when you're going through something hard that if you keep it all bottled up and pretend everything's okay, I mean, who does that honor? And how do you, how do people uh, see, I think in Ecclesiastes for, you know, we're uh, a court of um, something about where two or where a cord of three strands is not easily oh, broken. Right. And there's sure. something about, you know, how can one lay down and stay warm and mm-hmm. maybe pull you out of a pit? I forget what it is, but anyway, oh, if you're a- hot, in Joel, yeah. I believe, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And um, yeah. if one is alone, he, you know, he's vulnerable. But if two together, they can defeat the enemy and a three. Right. There you go. Not easily broken. There you go. But if you hide, if you just put on that happy face and you just pretend everything is OK, no one knows the, that you're suffering. And 
because people have to be so careful with widows or even I, I would dare say even people who um, have a history of depression or mental health, you know, you just want to be so careful. Now I'm going to say just widows. When some, when you are faced with a widow, you don't confront them. You, I mean, it just feels mean to confront them and say, um, you know, I, I, how's your, how's your thought life? Mm-hmm. How's your heart? How are you spending yep. your time? Mm-hmm. Um, or, and the, because you get so much space as a widow, you're not expected to serve at church or, you know, do anything you're, you're allowed this space to grieve, but that gives you a lot more time in your schedule to get into trouble. <laughs> yeah. That's so I was really thankful for those girls. That's wonderful. I'm so glad. And I'm sure that those that are listening now say, what's the rest of the story? How are you today? What happened? Were you single for a long time after that? Give, give us the rest. Yeah, I, I, I am married right now. now. I'm okay. married now. And uh, Dave and I have been married for 20 years this okay. year. We are in full-time ministry together and have been for the last eight years. We have a ministry of of speaking and writing and then teaching other people how to speak, do what I do. Last year, I turned 65 and the Lord just said, I've got, you've got more years behind you than ahead of you. And it's time to teach other people how to do what you do. And I I think of that like the, um, like a relay race. I'm not done running but I am going to pass the baton back and have more members on my team so that um, the message of Jesus is multiplied. Yeah. Um, I love that. It. It's beautiful. Yeah. And Thanks. congratulations. I know Dave and you found an amazing man and God has given you Good. such a beautiful life and the peace that passes all understanding God's peace that you spoke about earlier in Philippians, the word talks about that. He truly gave you that and sustained you. And who knows what, you know, Dave's journey was, but there in God's providence, he had the two of you yeah. meet at just the right time and for just the right purpose. Indeed. And your ministry is thriving. You do something called the Christian Speakers Boot Camp. I do. I do. It's a video, it's an eight week course with me. So you watch the lessons and then you go over your homework with me once a week. At the end of eight weeks, you have a full length signature talk that has been edited and revised by me. You've practiced it twice. I've taught you how to punctuate it and choreograph it. And what I mean by that is when to be quiet and when to slow your speech and speed it up. And so there's a lot of confidence leaving that eight weeks. I help you figure out how to set your fees and figure out where to talk. It's a beautiful um, fundamentals course for women who are just getting started speaking or who have a book that they need to be talking about. And I just want to tell everyone who's listening. So I have the privilege and the joy of knowing this wonderful woman. We both live in the same city of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you are excellent at what you do. And if anybody is questioning whether or not this would be a good investment, I just want to tell you right now, you don't hesitate. Join this speakers group because I know you and 
just every time that we meet or every time we talk, you give me such great encouragement. (laughs) You give me tips. Even before we started this podcast, you spoke some great things into my life that I said, I'm using that. I have to do that. So ladies listening, yes, you with a, and what about if they, if they don't have a book out yet, but they feel like they have a book in them, they have a story and they're ready. Can can you help coach them in all things? Not writing. I'm, I'm no, I'm no writing coach. Um, no, but if you, I'm, I'm like my superpower is teaching people how to speak. I, I mean, I just love it. And if you don't have a book yet, you should start talking about the thing that you're going to write about because that will clarify the message so that you know exactly what the book will include. That's excellent. Yeah. You don't have to have a book to be a speaker. Right. Yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. So awesome and wonderful. It's been such a joy to have you on the program today and closing remarks for the widow who's listening. Yeah. Um, this too shall pass, you know, this too shall pass and just choose to help somebody else. That was really foundational for me to climb out of my um, shadow is to just do what you can to help someone else and make progress so that uh, it's the cycle continues and, and go to bed early, just go to bed early. (laughs) My guest is Robin Dykstra. This has been an amazing time. You can reach her at robindykstra.com, which is R-O-B-Y-N Dykstra, D-Y-K-S-T-R-A. I'll put all of that in the show notes for you. She's on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and the Christian Speakers Bootcamp.com. Robin, thank you so much for being with us today. What a pleasure to be with you, Dawn. I enjoy every minute with you. Thank you. And for all of you who are listening, I have a question for you. Modern day Esters, is this your moment to arise? I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And hey, if you've not done so yet, why don't you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss another episode. Or you can visit us at AriseEster.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the movement. Visit us today to get connected. For more information about me, Dawn Damon, visit DawnDamon.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for a free breakthrough strategy session. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.